0: Hello, my name is Eva and welcome to a history episode about the Anarchy. The historical period known as the Anarchy stretched roughly from 1138 to 1153 and included all but the first three years of King Stephen's rule in England. Well, so then who was King Stephen, and why was this period in English history described by a contemporary 12th century chronicler as, England, formerly the seat of justice, the habitation of peace, the height of piety, the mirror of religion, became thereafter a home of perversity, a haunt of strife, a training ground of disorder, and a teacher of every kind of rebellion. Well, to answer this question in full, we must travel back 15 years before King Stephen is even crowned king. Let us imagine ourselves shivering pitifully on a cold winter's evening on the shores of Normandy. It is the 25th of November in the year 1120 and we are being pushed hither and yon by a mingling crowd gathered at the port town of Barfleur. Barfleur is even in 1120 known as one of the prettiest towns in the Normandy region in northwest France. If you think of the Normandy landings in the Second World War, Barfleur is around 40 kilometres, around 24 miles, north of the famous Utah Beach. But all that is in the future and is as yet unknown to us here in 1120, where all we can see is King Henry I of England standing proud and regal amongst his nobles who are boarding the ships that will finally return them to england after resecuring the borders of king henry's duchy of normandy for this is the period in england and normandy history where they are one united land united in the crown of england though the french possessions are continuously contested but for now After having settled and made peace with his neighbours in France, King Henry returns to his lands in England, if not fully triumphant, then at least content that he has secured his legacy and that of his son and heir, William Adeline the Atheling, which means heir apparent in Saxon. So were we to be standing there on the shores of Normandy, we would have witnessed battle-hardened men and tired women intent on returning to their English homes, some of them laden with the spoils of war. According to the contemporary chronicler Odoric Vitalis, who was a monk of English and Norman descent, King Henry was approached on that very night in Barfleur by Captain Thomas Fitzstephen, who asked the king to grant him the honour of sailing him across the channel. Captain Thomas Fitzstephen was supposed to have said, My father sailed your father across this channel. Allow me to do the same for you. For this Thomas Fitzstephen was son of the very captain who sailed William of Normandy across the English Channel to his subsequent conquest of England, the conquest that earned him the title William the Conqueror. But William the Conqueror's son King Henry, standing there on the very shores of Normandy, from whence his father sailed fifty-four years earlier, refused the captain's offer, for the king had made prior arrangements. But he did allow for his son and several of his illegitimate children to sail on Captain Thomas's ship, a fast-flowing, well-manned vessel known as the White Ship. And the young Prince William Adeline and his boisterous retinue of party loving knights were only too happy to be left a whole ship for themselves, and they were quick to open the ample barrels of wine they had brought along, and they were more than generous in their sharing of it with the ship's crew. In fact, so much drinking was done even before departure that the young prince's cousin, Stephen, known as Stephen of Blois, who, according to Odoric Vitalis, was already feeling unwell, disembarked from the white ship at the very last moment, as he could not partake in the excessive drinking. But three hundred other people did crowd onto the white ship, many of them hoping to catch the eye of William Adelin and thereby secure themselves a place at court. And these three hundred people sailed for England in the darkness of a cold November night. And at some point, according to the chronicler Orderic Vitalis, the young prince William challenged the ship's crew to catch up to the king's ship that was well under way across the channel. But in those choppy waters and the world engulfed in winter's darkness, disaster loomed as the ship's port side was struck by an underwater rock and the white ship capsized, quickly sinking into the ice-cold water. Contemporary sources differ as to the exact order of events, but they do seem to agree that the young Prince William Adeline was initially rescued by his retainers into the only skiff available on the ship. But William Adelind turned back when he heard the pleas of help from his half-sister, and as the skiff came up against the hull of the sinking ship, it was swamped by the desperately drowning, who clambered onto its side, causing the skiff to turn, and William and his retainers to drown alongside the three hundred people who were lost that night. The white ship had been the very last vessel to sail out of Normandy, so the king's ship and other vessels were far ahead and were not even aware of the catastrophe unfolding. It was only in the early hours of the following morning, when a few lifeless bodies washed up on the shores, that the full scale of the calamity was known. The majority of the drowned were never recovered. Medieval sources, including the 12th century account by William of Malmesbury, filled page after page trying to discern how such misery was brought on England. The chronicler Vitalis claimed that the ship was doomed, as the young drinking knights had refused to allow a group of monks aboard to bless the ship. However, no contemporary writers alluded to any conspiracy to deliberately, deliberately sabotage the white ship, an undertaking that would have been difficult to keep quiet. And in any case, many of those who had, who might have stood to gain by William Adeline's death were with him aboard on that night and perished. It was only later centuries that took up the whisper that foul play had been at hand. The scholar Victoria Chandler claimed so in her research, and A Conspiracy to Murder and Upend the Crown is famously at the heart of the best-selling fictional novel Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett, a novel I adore and will talk about in the future. More recently, the historian Charles Spencer has written the book, The White Ship, in which he vividly describes the series of an unhappy coincidences that led to the death of William Adelin. According to several contemporary sources from the 12th century, including the chronicle *Gesta Regis Stefani, out of the hundreds thrown into the waters, only one, just one person survived by clinging to a rock. This sole survivor was a butcher by the name of Biro, who, it was said, was only on board in order to secure the monies owed him by the travelling knights. As for the captain, Thomas Fitzstephen, who had implored the king to do him the honour of travelling on his ship. Well, According to the chroniclers, he surfaced after the sinking of the ship. But when he saw that the young prince had drowned, he let himself be pulled under by the water rather than survive and save the and face the king. This story is supposed to have been told by the butcher, the only surviving eyewitness of that night. This whole terrible event was even, in a 12th century, used to great calamities, such a momentous incident that news of it travelled relatively quickly for the times. News travelled from one coastal town to another. After all, it was a generation of young knights that England and Normandy had lost. Many of them proven men on the field of battle, and some already in possession of land or heirs to great tracts of land. Some of that land contested perhaps, but valuable land none the less in both Normandy and in England. So there was, undoubtedly, a rush by the kin of the drowned to secure and resecure the lands that were now without lord or heir, so that these possessions were not lost along with the sons, daughters, cousins, and other kin who went down with the white ship. Amongst the nobles, grief was widespread and grief was dark and deep at the court of england but even the grief of a king however heartfelt cannot grind to a halt a country's real politique and the very real politics were that england was now thrown into the disarray that comes about when the line of succession is undecided king henry had around 20 illegitimate children several of them sons, but William Adeline had been the only legitimate boy and in medieval Europe kingdoms could be lost and destroyed when a sovereign had no heir on whom he could pass on old trusted alliances and ensure stability of the land. So King Henry did what a widowed, heirless sovereign could do Almost two months to the day, in January 1121, King Henry married Adelisa of Louvain, an 18-year-old daughter of a French ally, a female descendant of the great Charlemagne, and 35 years his junior. Him, an old man, her, a young, beautiful woman, so the chronicle chroniclers recalled. He married her in the hopes of fathering a son who would be recognized as his heir in his lifetime. But though Henry and Adelissa spent a great deal of time together and were said to get along well, their marriage produced no children. And this led King Henry to make a remarkable decision that he announced to the Anglo-Norman barons in 1126, as they all gathered in Westminster to celebrate Christmas with the aging king. And as they celebrated, Henry declared that his sole surviving legitimate child, his daughter, Matilda, was to be his heir. Henry's decision would set in motion actions that would leave the country so unsettled that it would gradually descend into a civil war, that would last almost two decades, pitting fathers against sons, making old friends into new enemies, and see two royal cousins engage in a deadly conflict for the prize of a crown. Now if this sounds a lot like a certain TV series that takes place in the Seven Kingdoms, then this True tale of the anarchy will rival anything that fiction might make up. I will leave it there for now, and next week I will continue the story as Henry's decision is contested and then overturned as the conflict known as the anarchy truly begins. I hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I enjoyed researching it and talking about it. If you stuck around until now, I hope you will subscribe to the podcast because it really helps with the algorithm and it helps people find this podcast. I hope to see you. I hope to. I hope you're here for the next time. Until then, I have been Eva and thanks so much for listening.